we are bringing, as I said, this uh, theme, the one, to a close. And what I'd like us to kind of sit with, just for the moments that we have here together, is that as we um, sit on the ending of one year and the beginning of a new one, I'd like us to consider that the key to long-lasting change, according to the scriptures, resides in the one who makes us new. And not in our own ability to, um, our own capacity to change. And yet, that's being that the case, that really long-lasting change resides in the one who makes us new, who promises to make us new, yet he doesn't remove our role in the matter. He still gives us the choice or the responsibility or the invitation, however we might want to look at it, to embrace the new thing he wants to do in us. And he still leaves that up to us. We get to choose if we're going to be open to what he might want to do. And this is really important for us to recognize, especially um, in the season in which we find ourselves, in the moment in human history in which we find ourselves, you know, because we, we live in a time and space in which technology and science has, has done amazing things. Um, we, we are being given a lot of different advantages that other generations only dreamed of and some only wrote about in science fiction novels or shows or films and now we're actually seeing them come alive. My wife and I, we went through a neighborhood coffee shop and, you know, we're just talking about one day, you know, if, when we will have a family, what would that be like? And we, she wanted to jaywalk. And I said, nope, not doing that anymore. You know, I uh, got to grow up a little bit. You know, when that season, got to start now, right? Getting ready for whatever that, that one's going to, I'm going to go to the corner. And she goes, well, I like to go the fastest route. You know, and I said, well, you know what? We're going to, she goes, I, you know what? Then you better change the way you drive. Because... Uh, <laughs> Because they're going to start copying that. And I said, nope, don't need to worry about that. She's like, what are you talking about? They're going to drive one day. And I, I, I just kind of stumbled into it. I realized they might not. They're, they might not drive one day. Because the car might actually drive for them. And that dangerous. <laughs> but that's true, right? I mean, this, uh, this whole new era we're on the edge of. In which technology is doing some amazing things. Some of them we're scared of. Some of them we're very much uh, wanting in our lives. That's, that's there. That's there. Medicine has done an incredible job of extending this life, of being able to address illnesses, of being able to prolong our ability to remain strong into later years. And yet, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is we were given all these promises, especially at the beginning of the year, we're going to start probably hearing about different programs. The key to the body we want, right, is this program or maybe this pill. They, they, they exist that remove our appetite, which also promises to remove our need to restrain our appetite, right? That's out there. And we know, even maybe even as we think about it, we know that there's something about those promises that, yes, they might have something of a truth in it, but they inevitably, they do let us down, don't they? They do fall short. You know, and I'm not speaking as one who's anti-science or technology. I'll tell you, if you get to know me, you know I, I enjoy my fair share of it. But I think at the end of the day, it's good for us to acknowledge and understand. Maybe this is why perhaps some of us New Year's resolutions have fallen out of popularity with us. 
Maybe this is why some of us, we rather keep the desires we have within our heart to ourselves rather than share them with somebody and risking the disappointment because we know that no matter what program we incorporate, what, whatever technology or whatever method we try to implement into our lives, something is still not removed. And that's something that is not going to ever really be removed is that at the end of the day, what is required of us will be us to change. We are the ones who will need to adjust and make shifts and walk through those changes. And the truth of the matter is um, that will be the case to some degree or another. And some of us, this may become something that can be a daunting prospect. Um, that acknowledging that can be rather difficult and challenging because we might be the ones who look back on the rearview mirror and unfortunately, or however we might say, it, our track record may not show a whole lot of evidence of our capacity to change. Others of us, may, we might have more reason for confidence and yet we know that there is something in us that battles our desire. In, in, with all, in all of us, there is a real desire for growth and improvement and something good to occur and also a competing battle within. And that reality is why I personally have come to love what the scriptures have to say, not just about God, but about the human condition. Because the scriptures don't actually give empty promises that just blow hot air into our soul, giving us enthusiasm that leads to nowhere. Actually, what we start to see as we explore them openly is we start to see that they present to us an accurate picture of the human struggle. And perhaps because they are accurate in their assessment, they also offer, I'd like to suggest, a real solution to our dilemma. That's important. If the problem isn't accurately assessed, the solution may not actually be effective. And yet the scriptures do both. This is why for us, this is, this is tremendously good news. See, the key to real long-lasting change, according to the scriptures, resides with the one who makes us new not our own capacity to change. And uh, yet we are given the invitation to decide whether or not we will embrace the new thing God wants to do. This is the very thing, by the way, that the scriptures uh, we're going to walk through, they end up unfolding, um, unwrapping for the Israelites about 700 years before the coming of Jesus through a man named Isaiah. And if you open up your handout, I'd like us to just kind of walk through a couple things that Isaiah was asked to speak and convey. And Isaiah, just so we understand, is speaking to a group of people, a nation that has suffered extraordinary devastation as a nation, as a people. Their economic situation doesn't look positive at all. Politically speaking, they've been overthrown and are now trying to rebuild themselves. They're on the other side of having been conquered and they're not actually feeling that great about their season of life. And into this situation, God has a message for them that ends up foretelling the one we just celebrated a week ago, the coming of Christ. 
and ends up describing what he will come to do. And this is, this is what we read here in Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus God says, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, Isaiah says, as his spokesman. And then he speaks as if he is speaking to this one, his servant, who we know Jesus ends up being the fulfillment of. He says, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant that is an agreement for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. What he is essentially saying is Isaiah is telling the Israelites that his servant the one who is being foretold of, the one who we know as Jesus, will come as one who administer a new way of relating between God and his people. That is what the covenant is referring to, a new agreement. And he's saying, and he will not be just for a single nation. He will be meant to speak into the entire world. He will be like a light in a dark place. And John says it, the light shone. And the darkness could not overcome it. That, that is what Isaiah is saying. He is meant for the entire world to be able to see. And the great news is anyone who cannot see because of him, there will be something of sight given. They will be able to experience freedom at dimensions they had never act, actually been able to experience before him. They will be like people caught in prison in the dungeon. They will be brought out and set free. So that, that is what he will do. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking into something that um, if we can try our best to put ourselves in their shoes, he is speaking to a nation who was used to, accustomed to obeying rules and to, to obey regulations in order to remain in right standing with God. And Isaiah is saying, no, there's something far more radical going on here. God is, is not necessarily only, he's not going to be concerned about behavior modification. He's concerned about heart transformation. And that is, that is a, a, quite a different thing. It, it, that, that will be, and, and you get the sense as you read through the remainder of 42 and into the next passages of Isaiah 43, that God ends up wanting them to understand something radically different is about to happen in their, in their nation, in their faith, in their heritage. And perhaps because we're on the hinge point of our year and season of life, I was thinking that this would be, this was just a great word that resonated with me. In fact, it's just right underneath in Isaiah 43. Check this out. It says, this is what God is saying through Isaiah. Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah is saying that there is a new way. Something will require them. There is something new that will require them, those who are receiving this word, 
to be willing to let go of how they are accustomed to relating with God, to relating perhaps with each other and the wider world around them, and to be open. You see, you see it? To, to, not, to not throw away and dishonor what is old, but to not hold on to it so tightly, to let it go, to be open to the new thing. And lest we think this is an easy thing to receive or to do, Isaiah was speaking to a group of people who were steeped in hundreds of years of a heritage they loved, of how to go about this walk, this journey, and this life with God. Where certain things, regulations, rules, and laws were meant for their benefit, to help them. But Isaiah ends up addressing, God ends up addressing it, especially through the life of Jesus, where he ends up speaking to the ones who keep the law. The laws that were meant to help you are ending up the laws that are confining you. And they are now boxing God in. And because of that, you are not open to the new thing God is wanting to do. Because if it's not within this framework, it doesn't work for you. This is what Isaiah is trying to say to them. You, get, you need to be, and, and I just wonder, some of us, if perhaps there is there's something of this word that is meant for us, that perhaps as we look into the coming year, the year that we are walking into, I wonder if this is the word meant for us to grab a hold of. I just love the way the message translation says it, which is in more colloquial terms. This um, pastor, Eugene Peterson, who's a scholar as well, ended up writing this translation called the message translation. I asked him to put just a couple paraphrases of it up. And says, this is, this is what God says. And let's just think of the imagery. The God who builds a road right through the ocean who carves a path through pounding waves. Think of the juxtaposition. Say, no, God is able to do that. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Especially as it pertains to perhaps the path and the, the path we have walked through. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Rivers in the badlands. Where there is no life bursting forth, there's going to be a river bursting forth through it. And all the life associated with it. And here's the deal. He, he is not actually speaking of the physical dimensions of this earth. What he is speaking is of the real dimensions of our soul. Because a lot of us, we might sense, no, you don't understand. My heart, it's like a raving ocean. That I want to go straight, but tensions pull me and currents tug at me. And Isaiah is saying, no, no, you don't. No, you don't understand. If God wants to do something new in your heart, no amount of battle within can overcome it. He is able to do it. And where you sensed in your soul nothing but death, the badlands, new life will erupt. Don't you see it? This is the great thing God wants to do. That is, that is an incredible promise. That is an incredible promise that Jesus stepped into the human history and actually fulfilled 
with what he did on the cross and offered to anybody who would embrace him. Everlasting life, not meant only for the future, but the abundant life meant for the present. He spoke to a woman, if you, if you drink the water I give, it will produce within you a fountain. A fountain will erupt from you. This is what God is able to do. And Jeremiah, who is another spokesman for God and speaking to Israel as well, ends up unpacking what this new way of relating and this covenant would look like. In verse 33, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Israel being representative, by the way, of any who call themselves the people of God, who call on his name. After those days, declares the Lord, and look at this, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. It will be internalized. Change will occur from the inside out. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say to his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all, they will know me personally, intimately. My presence will be in them. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What is Jeremiah saying? There will be a great equalizer that as we approach, and by the way, the equalizer is Jesus on the cross because at the feet of his cross is where there is no one superior than any other. For we all stand there, equal in our need for grace, equal in our need for forgiveness, equal in our need for, for what he offers, the ability to make us new. We see it. And it's an incredible, incredible point of hope, especially for us as we move into all that we hope and anticipate the new year will bring. And I, I just think of this in terms of how we might want to unpack this in our own lives and I consider, you know, a couple things that Isaiah and Jeremiah are saying to us, these prophets of old speaking into the new things God longed to do through Jesus, through the one who makes us new. And I just want to put some things up for us to consider, maybe uh, think on, maybe utilize as we move into this week. And maybe in our downtimes, we can uh, maybe revisit and uh, seek to prayerfully uh, look at, digest, with God. Firstly, what do we see here? We see that we serve a God. We serve a God who wants to do something new in our lives, in our, in our lives. This is the truth. We must begin here. It, it, the, we might be the ones who desire something new, but we have to understand that desire has been deposited by the one who created us. We might be the ones desperate for change, and that desperation is meant to compel us to draw us to the one who said, good, you, you hear my call. Good. You sense what I have put within you. Come, let's dialogue. Because he is the one. He is the one. Listen, he is not a God who wants us to become stuck in certain ways. He doesn't desire for us to be held. Some of us, we might have an image of God as one who just only longs to judge and hold us under his thumb. And what we are being told is quite the opposite. And he is a God who says, I want to breathe new life into you. I want to do something new in you. He is the one who wants to um, not encourage us to remain focused on what was. And this, this, is where light, this is where the rubber tends to meet the road. Well, we start to, start to consider that perhaps we're the ones who are exempt. That perhaps our past will be our present and our future. 
And it is difficult for us to let go of certain things. But he is the one. He says, I, will, I, will, I, won't hold, I won't hold those over you. I will not. Your iniquities will be forgiven, washed, white as snow. He, he invites us to take risks with him. He invites us to be open to what he might want to do, what he might want to speak into our lives. And so I, I was just thinking, perhaps in my own time, I, I have already been thinking about this. And, and so I'd just like to share a couple questions I think are worth answering. And these aren't going to go up. I'm just going to share them. But I wonder, what, what is the new thing that you would say you think God longs to do in you? What would, what would a river in a bad land look like in our soul? What would, that, what would that practically speaking look like? A lifeless place filled with abundant life. What is that? What, um, what does he long to write within us? What word does he long to inscribe on our soul? Perhaps the word is faithful. Uh, courageous. Perhaps the word is committed. Loving. This year, generosity be written on our soul. This year, uh, graciousness. Defining way we relate to each other. That is, that is what will flow out of us. Why? Because he's the one writing it in us. What would that be? I wonder what, what is perhaps another way of looking at it? What is a rut we have gone into that he longs to get us out of? Says, this is the year. We're going to get you out. We're going to dislodge this. We're going to forget the old things. We're going to be, become open to the new things. We're going we're to pave a way where things were crooked. We're going to straighten it up together. We're going to dislodge things. Or perhaps the last way of putting it, maybe in more clear language, what character qualities does he want to form within our lives? What would that look like? We don't need to share, you know, if we just say, God, what is it that you want to form inside of me? We just write. We seek his word. So that list might, we might say, wow, there's so many things. Well, what is that one thing? Because one thing we know, according to what Isaiah and Jeremiah, and especially what the Newer Testament has to say, and the coming of Jesus explains to us, is that it means, listen, we have an internal sense of strength, a source of strength that supersedes our abilities, resources, or networks. In other words, there is nothing external we have that can overpower what he has deposited within us. That when we embrace Jesus in our lives, he gives us a sense of power and strength that supersedes, overrides our external circumstances. It really does. That is capable of giving us the ability to sustain true life in the middle of terrible situations. In fact, Paul ends up writing to this to the Corinthians and he says, listen, I want you not to lose heart because though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day, day in and day out. There is a part of us that is new every morning. 
that is filled with his mercy. And that is the part that we cannot see. And it's true. I was looking at a picture of myself just about less than 10 years ago. It's like, who is that guy? What happened these last seven years, you know, last eight years? And then I looked at my wife. She looks the same. Um, I thought, well, that's not fair. Uh, But that's the reality, right? That's the reality. There's something about our external being, no matter how hard we try, it, it will get older. And if there's nothing, listen, boy, these last few days have reminded us of is how fragile life actually is. The passing of different people that are recognized internationally. And the way that we are reminded how really we're not given, we're not guaranteed a single day. But what, what, one promise we are given is that those, listen, when we call on his name, there is something within us that is given power and strength that does not depend on our own capacities, our own financial means or the people we know. There is something of his spirit that is capable of producing more life than we can possibly contain. And if we venture forth, we will be able to recognize he is able to heal our wounds. He is able to help us move past things. He is able in the midst of our failures and weaknesses to whisper words of love and grace to pick us back up, to give us wisdom, because now we understand our weaknesses better and to move forward. That is what he promises to do. He asks us to be open to him, to do more than be open to him, to embrace him, to draw near to him. That is what he asks of us, and the rest he loves to do. He loves to do it. Because the more we get to move forward with Jesus, the more we discover that we are given hope no grim circumstance can overshadow. That there is truly no circumstance that can overshadow the eternal hope he gives all of us. This is, this is what Paul ends up telling the Romans. And the best way I can summarize it is he just continually tells them. And throughout, if you were to read any one of his letters, the sense you get is that Paul is basically saying, we can't lose. Do you not see how radically different life is with Jesus? We cannot lose. We can't lose. What Jesus has done in our lives makes it so we simply aren't able to... Um, Lose if we entrust ourselves to him. He tells the Romans, he says, he says to the Romans, let's put it this way. He changes everything. And then perhaps this is where we're going to be headed into the coming year. But he says, even adversity can't overcome the hope we have. He says, listen, not only that, but we rejoice. He goes, he goes a little further than I'm going. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering, why? It produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character, what does it produce? It produces hope. That in God's gracious way with us, he uses the circumstances we would consider bad and we would consider wanting to be avoided, the things we would rather not deal with. He says, no, they are used. Those points of suffering are used to our benefit. And they give us a hope. Look, a hope that does not put us to shame. You know what that means? It won't let us down. It won't mock us at the end of the day. We won't feel like fools having entrusted ourselves to him. 
will have no regrets. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what he offers us. He offers us the ability to recognize and understand he will not relent in his pursuit of us, in his strengthening of us, and his ability to meet us right where we're at, whether it's a low point in the middle or on the high, on the mountaintop. He is able to meet us and speak life and hope into us that enables us to endure. That is what he does. And I'm reminded of this story I actually just ran across this week. I was just reading, spending some time reading this book. And in it was this story that was captured that actually occurred in 2008. The story takes place in London, in which there was a man in London, apparently at that time in the year, was raining just ferociously hard. And it was harder than most times. And this one day it had let up, but the, the, the sidewalks were flooded with water and the streets were as well. But there was enough room for this older man, this man to take his young daughter, his three-year-old daughter and their dog along for the walk. And so they, they stepped out and they, they were walking out on the street and as they're walking the dog runs over to this deeper side of a puddle ends up jumping on the puddle and is just kind of playing in the water and the little girl the three-year-old ends up thinking that ah, that looks like fun and so she goes off she runs over and she jumps into the puddle and as she jumps into the puddle she disappears and the man ends up seeing that his daughter just disappeared and in a matter of seconds realizes that what had most likely happened was a manhole had been removed through the storm and something of a suction had occurred and his daughter had got sucked into the manhole. And in a matter of seconds, he ends up realizing, well, this is going to empty out into the river about 100 yards away. And so he immediately starts running towards the river to where he's hoping and thinking that's where his daughter will come out. And so he runs up to the edge of the river and he sees out in the water that there's this coat floating with his daughter in it face down in the water. And he, without a moment's pause, he just recognizes her, jumps into the water, picks her out of the water, pulls her out, puts her on the side, and she's breathing and she, she is, is conscious and he, he saved his daughter's life. And people saw this. And they saw the entire thing occur in a matter of seconds. And so they asked him, which is the author, what the author got, was impressed by, is that they asked him, how did you do that? How did you do that? How did you move forward so quickly and so decisively, knowing exactly what you were supposed to do? And this author says, therein lies the secret. This man, Mark Baxter, wasn't working out a step-by-step -step process of what he had to do. He knew exactly what he needed to do. That wasn't the question. What he needed to do every step of the way, he said, was every time a bad thought came into my mind, I had to push it out. And every time, every step I took, a bad thought would come in and would tell me why, why try. And I had to push it out. It was too late and I had to push it out. And I took a step forward and a step forward, and a step forward, and then I jumped into the river, and I grabbed my, my daughter as I was wondering if she was filled with life still, and I pulled her out, and she was not lifeless. She was still filled with life, and that hope of seeing her still alive is what helped me move forward. And the author says, that, that sense of hope, that sense of hope that no situation is too dire, 
that no circumstance is too grim, that nothing is actually final, especially when we invite the one who makes us new is involved. That hope is what gives us the courage to move forward one step at a time. Oh, if we do that, if we do that, 2017 can be, it can be our best year yet. May we move forward knowing we have the one who makes us new, who gives us hope nothing can overshadow, who gives us a resource that nothing can supersede. And we serve a God who longs to do new things in our lives. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and our closing song. But I would love to pray, ask for his blessing. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are the one. <laughs> You're the one who knows us through and through. Uh, we can't hide anything from you, and yet your posture towards us is one of grace, gentleness, and love. And yet you also offer us strength and courage. And I pray that you would give each of us, however we may need it, the capacity to be uh, open to you, the capacity to let go of some things, to be open to the new things you long to do. I pray, God, that you would write a beautiful word on our heart that 2017 would be one of our best years yet. We ask God for your help to live it well. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.